How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Queer I Am, the podcast. Recently, although a little late to the party, I listened to the audiobook The Madonna of Bolton by Matt Cain. This book is not only brilliant, funny, emotional and nostalgic, it was also so relatable for me as a queer kid growing up in the 80s and 90s. We talked the book, the story behind it, and managed to have quite the conversation about how pop culture and our idols become our tribes when we didn't even know what this meant. There is a lot of chat about Madonna, the Spice Girls, Melanie C, and we also dismiss the idea of popular culture at times being considered a guilty pleasure. The book is epic, and the perfect read or listen as the summer holiday season approaches, so please get your copy now. Thank you so much, Matt, for being super lovely. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So whatever you're up to, this is your time to settle down, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Queer I Am. So hi Matt, welcome to Queer I Am the podcast. <laughs> hi Andrew, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you so much. No, seriously, I would have loved to have interviewed you face to face because obviously we're doing the live shows at the moment in in Brighton. We had our first live show on Monday, which was really cool, um, and I've got seven more over the next seven weeks. So um, there's lots kind of going on. Um, How do you find it affects the interview? Does the interviewee open up more? when they're not in front of an audience and they're on Zoom? or And do they retreat into themselves in front of people? Or do you find the opposite? I think, to be honest, I mean, that was the first live show that I've done. And we had four guests. So I had uh, local author Helen Trevorrow. I had Nathaniel J. Hall. 
Um, a local drag queen, uh, Anthony Barnett, who's also known as Shallow Vera. And I had a, an amazing artist called Dark Guacho Darkwa. And it was just such an amazing conversation. Um, I listened to the audio yesterday and I was just like, oh my God, this is like my best my best work. This is incredible. Oh my so, God. Well, I hope I'm not going to be a crushing disappointment. No, not at all. Not your all. best work. <laughs> but I think it's with the live environment, because obviously it's being filmed for YouTube and also we've got the audience as well. It's a completely different atmosphere. Um, you've obviously got to control four people, not control them, but like, you know, try and keep the conversation going in the right direction and stuff. But it was just so free flowing and everyone had so much great, you know, so many great things to say that it was just brilliant. It was just, yeah, I was exhausted yesterday um, because I think the adrenaline of kind of getting it all done and then actually doing the interviews and stuff afterwards, you kind of go, wow, how did that go? You know, was that okay? Because it's in the moment. Um, but I did listen to it and I think it's pretty epic. So um, I'm very Woo! excited. Yeah, I know. Yes. Living my best queer life. It's amazing. So your book, the uh, Madonna of Bolton. So I'm late to the party on this one. Totally. It's a couple of years, uh, 2017, 2018, I think it came out. Is that right? 2018, it first came out in hardback. But because it took me so long to get it published, I was actually writing it a decade before that. Oh, wow. So, um, it's been a long journey for me. And it's fine to be late to the party. I mean, the thing is about authors, well, I mean, I don't know what others would say, but I've done two books since then, and I'm just finishing the next one. And um, it's really, you know, publishers are very much focused on the new, the latest release, and that's how retailers work. Mm. It's all their focus is on the new or the upcoming book. And... You know, you care about all your babies as an author. You don't want yeah. any of the older ones to be neglected. So um, if somebody comes to it late to the party, I mean, that's great. There's no need to apologise. It was just, it's been one of those books. It's been on the list for ages. And then I decided, I actually listened to the audio book. So I didn't actually read the book, but I listened to the audio. And it was kind of like my nighttime ritual. So I'd get into bed and I'd put the headphones on. It would help me unwind. And I was just hooked. Like I actually couldn't wait to go to bed to do like, have the next chapter. It was just incredible. It was so so good, and oh, fantastic. And were you a Madonna fan before? Yeah, I've. I mean, so I'm a Madonna fan. This I don't know if this is a bit kind of like you know the wrong thing to say, but the old stuff. So 80s, 90s, Ray of Light for me is just like one of her most epic albums. Well, let's uh, say classic Madonna. Classic Madonna. Madonna. Yeah. yeah, I think. I think Hard Candy was a good album, but I think after that, there were some good songs on some of the albums, but I wasn't as, you know, struck with it. I love like Ghost Town on the, um, what Madonna, is that Rebel Heart, that album? Rebel Heart. Ghost Town's an amazing tune. Do you? What, the actual whole album or just the song? The That song. I mean, I'm not going to offer my perspective on Madonna post-2009, um, but I will say that when I, I mean, you know, I started writing the book, something like 2006, and um, when I kept coming, you know, so it was rejected and rejected and rejected, I couldn't get a publisher to take it on, and um, I kept coming back to it, and um, I would listen to some of the feedback that they said, and I'd have another go at it and make it better and make it better, but there was a point at which I stopped updating the action, and Mm -hmm. I left it in 2009. And that's because whether, whatever our feelings, there was a bit of a shift around then Mm -hmm. and in terms of the messaging. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. So what would you say is your favourite Madonna song? 
Oh, goodness. Um, I'm interviewing you now. Yeah, so I really like uh, Till Death to Us Part on the, on the Like a Prayer album. I think that's an epic track. I love that one. Um, I love Ray of Light. Like, um, is it Nothing Really Matters is a good tune? I love uh, Nothing Really Matters. I'm obsessed with that song. Do you mind if I ask how old you are, Andrew? Uh, 38. Oh, interesting. So you weren't around for Madonna in the Glory Days. I was a kid. I mean, for me, it's, this sounds really bad, doesn't it, right? But I well, probably just, just... Just a minute. What year were you born? 84. So like when she... A couple of years after she brought the first song out, right? Um, 84 was like the beginning of the Glory Days. Like okay. Virgin. So, okay. um, so 90, 84 straight through to the early 90s was just like, you know, massive hit after massive hit. So yeah, yeah you don't remember those as they happened. No, but I've obviously the Immaculate Collection, like teenagers, and I had a friend who absolutely loved Madonna and so did her sister. So whenever we'd have like house parties, like age of 16 onwards, the Immaculate Collection would go on. There's just so many good tunes on there, isn't there? But I think for me, like, I think as a live artist, like I've always loved, like I loved the American Life Tour. I had that on. I, had the, I love the Reinvention Tour. The yeah, Reinvention Tour. Um, cause I had the, I'm going to tell you a secret, um, DVD, the documentary, which I really, really enjoyed. And, and then confessions that was just, I mean, 2005 is like a, I don't know. I turned 21. I met my husband. There's like, that's kind of like a really good year in my, in my kind of mind. Oh my God, you, were very, you were very well adjusted and, um, <laughs> well, and self-loving at 21. At 21, I was still all over the place. Oh, I, I was all over the place for many years to come, I think, in different ways. But, you know, we were lucky. We kind of, you know, we met and fell in love and, you know, we've been together since. But I think that year, that album was epic. And I just, when Hung Up came out, Hung Up came out and just all of those tracks. And I remember seeing, I didn't go and see the show, but I saw the live DVD. And I just remember thinking, wow, what a spectacle. It was just well, incredible. Can you imagine if you'd been there from the beginning and you saw her first gig um, in the UK, the Who's That Girl tour mm. in 1987 when you were 12. And she meant everything to you. She saved your life. She was your spirit guide. Uh, she was on your side when nobody else was. And then people were writing her off with the American Life album, mm -hmm. saying she looked old and all the rest of it. She was past it. And then suddenly confessions came and it was this shot of energy. Mm -hmm. And um, it wasn't just a brilliant album, a brilliant song, a brilliant video and all the rest of it, a brilliant look. It was, um, it just felt like the relief yeah. that um, she was still, the fire was still burning and she was showing everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, because when I actually, I don't, I'm sure I speak for a lot of gay men or a lot who've told me this, but when um, everybody used to hate them and bully them at school and call them all sorts of names, you used to look at Madonna and um, felt like she was on your side. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that she was so successful was like getting your arm back on the world. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, see, I think, I think for me that's. And, and yes. in the media and the whole time, but. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that she'd just have huge hit after huge hit, it was like, there, I told you so. Go on, yeah. I interrupted. What were you going to say? No, no. I actually watched an interview with her last week, a really old one back from early 90s with Jonathan Ross. And Jonathan Ross is so young in this interview. And he asked her questions, you know, if you had HIV, what would you do? And it's that's a really kind of like profound moment that's been talked about quite a lot in terms of her response and how much, you know, she supported the community. Um but I think, you know, at that she 
she obviously has had, you know, really amazing kind of songs and tours and delivered so many positive messages, hasn't she? I think it's a bit of a shame that she's getting what she's getting now. Um, well, and- the interesting thing is you talk about the AIDS awareness and yes, you're absolutely right. I remember that um, interview in 92, it was for mm. Rossiter with the beret, beret on. Yes. Um, she was doing it from 85 onwards. Yep when yeah. literally nobody else was Talked saying it. it. Mm. She was going to Ed's awareness, um, gigs, benefits, um, doing her own benefit concerts in the sleeve of like a prayer album in 1989. Did you mm. see the note? Mm-hmm. Everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, everyone who has AIDS deserves compassion, mm-hmm. understanding. Um, oh yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. You know, um, literally when nobody else was doing it and the power of that, which is what inspired the book. Mm. You know, I mean, what also inspired the book is actually I've, I first wrote the book. Um, it was a more standard coming of age gay story and nobody wanted to publish it. And it was only, um, I remember I was filming in Buenos Aires in Argentina when I used to work in telly making documentaries. And um, it was about 2004, 2005. um, And it felt like Madonna was everywhere. You know, she'd been there filming Evita years before, but everybody kept pointing out to me, oh, that's where they shot that, and that's where they shot that. And all the songs, that's where she stayed in the French embassy, I think. The producers there would always be telling us. And then the songs from the film were in my head, and it was then that I realised she really has just always been there through my life. And if Mm. I need to root myself in which year and what I was doing, my markers were often like Madonna activities, singles and tours and albums. And um, that would always structure my um, life. And that's the idea for... um, the book came from, but I'm interrupting. Do you want to, do we need to tell people what the book is about? We do, but I was going to say, I really relate. And I want to come onto this a little bit more because there's a part of the book and we'll talk about it in a bit where, you know, Charlie finds his own strength and kind of, I guess, relinquishes his need to have Madonna in some kind of way. But I definitely, that resonated so much with me because my kind of teenage years was the Spice Girls and, you know, 96 onwards. And, I'm a huge Melanie C fan. So I've, you know, for years I've been following her career and I completely agree with you. Like every album, even, I don't know, the song could be song related to a situation, but actually somehow you listen to a song or a moment and it just takes you right to how you were feeling at that moment. And I completely got that from the book, but also resonate with what you've just said. It's almost like, I think, right, 2011, that was the C album. I remember at that time I was doing this job or, you know, and I think that's the power of artists and creativity, isn't it? It really does kind of stick in your brain and also support you when you're going through such challenging kind of time. So I thought it was, that was really well kind of shown throughout the book as well. I love that. Music, thank you. Music is amazing for um, offering emotional support, inspiring, healing. Mm. and also. I think, I'm really glad that you picked up on that, that he has to let go of his obsession in order to find his own creative voice. Um, because I um, I was talking, I did a show on Radio 4 the other day, and I was saying, I think the book is about how being a fan can actually be a creative act. And when we aren't confident expressing our own voice, mm-hmm. 
And remember that as gay men growing up, we were silenced, we were mute, we weren't allowed to talk about who we were or who we yeah. wanted to be. And um, actually being a fan and identifying as a Madonna fan was um, a form of self-expression. It was a form of working out your identity, a means to work out your identity and to signal it to the world. Mm. Always kind of coded language. And um, yeah, but then what happens is later in life, you do have to let go to mm. when you when your own voice is coming to form in order to let it sing. Yeah. And um that's what the book is about. I mean it's about a boy growing up in the 1980s in working class Bolton, a small town in the north. Well actually it's not a small town, but it has a small town mentality, or did in those days. And not fitting in, being persecuted for standing out in a way that we all understand Absolutely. as queer people um, and clinging on to Madonna as a spirit guide to help him through it. But mm. crucially having to let go later in life in order to let his own voice sing. And it's interesting hearing you talk about the Spice Girls. Um, I remember I used to be a massive Take That fan. I mean, people forget in the early days, like the first few albums, they were really camp and they had a gay mm. man. And I was in gay clubs. Um, you know, a bit different to when they became dads and they were a man band. But mm. um, I remember when Robbie left, I was de- devastated. <laughs> seeing, um, seeing Take That, the reunion tour, and actually I would also argue seeing the Spice Girls reunion tour, it was, I can say this without anybody thinking I'm being melodramatic or hyperbolic because queer people understand lots mm. of us have clung on to clinged clung clinged onto clung, music. Clung. yeah yeah i know you really know what the verb is um i felt profoundly moved in mm. a spiritual way seeing the spice girls that moment when the five of them came up together at the beginning yes i was i was so moved so and, that was 2007 uh, wasn't it that one that was the 2007 reunion the um reunion tour when it was all five of them the, the yeah. only one where it was all five of them that yeah. jamie king did who yeah. often does madonna's madonna's tours, um, yeah absolutely it was incredible mm. and i can only imagine how bereft you felt when jerry left and uh, it's awful i mean it's awful it's like a trauma yeah i think i did i feel bereft I remember just thinking, well, are they going to carry on? And they did. And they went straight to America. And then I think I was about 15, right? So they did the American leg and then they did. I remember it, like their concert being on Sky TV um, in 98 at Wembley Stadium. I remember watching it. Posh Spice was pregnant in that yes. lesson print. She looked like a barrel. Yeah, yeah. Her and Mel B were both pregnant with their babies, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I remember that. And I remember we didn't, we had Sky, but for some reason I didn't ask my parents. I was like, we probably won't pay for it because it's like 10 quid or something um but a neighbor across the road was watching it and i remember going past on my bike just looking through the window kind of like what's going on and then i watched that video over and over and over again and i think that's where i fell in love with mel c because for me her vocals on that tour and actually on all the tours now you know she has been the one that's kind of has taken the you know i think her voice is an acquired taste some people really don't like her voice but i think that's true with any singer but i think she's got this real energy and and i saw them in 2019 at wembley stadium when they did the four of them and that was just that was proper 90s nostalgia all of the backdrop of the staging and everything was all from the 90s and they even had like 
cassettes on the screen with you could see them through these cassette tapes and stuff. it was just incredible like i didn't really... go and see that one just because it wasn't the five of them and i'd seen the five of them and they'd done all it was the greatest hits i kind of thought how yeah. can we top that um i love mel c and i agree with everything you say i think she's fantastic and she's a great ally to the queer community and mm. i do think vocally she's very talented um i, I have to say though it, it wasn't the vocals that um, got me with the Spice Girls. It was the spirit, the sass, the attitude, mm, mm. the message. And for me, Jerry was um, the most interesting on that front. She seemed to be the soul. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was that. insane when it was just the four of them. When they did the Forever album, it just wasn't the same. But actually, it was really funny because the sassy Jerry in 2019 was kind of gone. And I get it, I know. you know. But, uh, you know, but it was this more kind of demure kind of, you know, woman. And I don't know. Who was demure? I mean, it's interesting. People are very critical about Madonna now um, because she's not being demure um, as she ages. I don't want fucking demure. No. It's boring, isn't it? I mean, you know, Madonna was demure for a time when she was married to Guy Ritchie and she did the children's books and... um, I'm, I find her much more interesting as an artist when she's spurned as a lover and mm. she wants to show the world yeah. that force, that life force. Um, and, you know, when she, the, the only tour, I mean, I did like it at the time, but the only tour I didn't, that didn't blow me away was Drowned World when she was married to Guy Ritchie. And, you know, the fishnets weren't there. The dance routines weren't there. It was Madonna is a musician on a guitar. Fuck that. I'm not interested in that. I want the sass, the message that um, she didn't have in that tour, I remember. I mean, it was great. But what I've always loved about Madonna is that steely defiance and determination mm-hmm. that we get mm-hmm. just emanating from her on stage. Yeah. And... Um, that is the crux of what drew me in because when I was having the shit kicked out of me and I was really, really hurting, here was this woman who was one of us and identified as one of us. And as a slut shamed woman who was ostracized for her sexuality, there was a parallel between her and gay men. She really Mm -hmm. was one of us Mm -hmm. and she was an outspoken ally. Mm -hmm. But, um, here she was. We knew she'd suffered. We knew she lost her mum when she was five. I mean, that's pretty much the big one. We knew she'd had this terribly painful divorce. She was devastated about losing Sean Penn, the great love of her life. So you occasionally got these flashes of vulnerability. But for the most part, she strapped on the armour. She literally wore costumes that looked like battle gear, like yeah. armour. The Jean-Paul Gaultier corset. And she went out there with this steely defiance. She went into battle. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what I needed mm-hmm. as a gay man. That's mm-hmm. what I would channel. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what we're in, we're in her brilliance, I think. And actually, whatever people say about her now, she's still got that. She's still got that. I don't give a fuck. Attitude, you know, yeah. And I'm going to show you. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Don't yeah. I? Oh, yeah. Say, say the C bomb if you want. It's fine. No worries. We'll just put it out there. <laughs> I think I, what I really relate to what you're saying is I think it's almost like through artists, we find our tribe before we really know what a tribe is. Yes. It's like our people. And it's like how yes. you 
you don't feel I mean for me I didn't even know it at the time but I think for me it was like the Spice Girls were a gang that I could be a part of when Mm. I didn't really fit anywhere else and Mm. but I think the really we might as well talk about it now but there was a part in the book where Charlie just kind of says he wants to be a writer and he realizes his dream and says actually I need to just do what I need to do this is not about being you know Madonna anymore or you know he has the conversation I think on the beach with the girls when he's on holiday I think that's the moment I'll Uh, remember is the chapter that's one of my favorites and one of my favorite songs yeah it's interesting you're picking up on this because um I think that's the um the um a really really key part of the book and the spirit of the book and people Mm. often just talk about the spirit guide stuff not having to let go Mm. And um, it's in, that's when he realizes he needs to let go in that scene. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted. No, it's no, it's fine. But this is, I think, what I've gone through recently with doing the podcast and kind of becoming a creative. It's like actually, I've spent so many years admiring other people's work. I was like, now I have something to say. And so I just read that, and I was like, yeah, that is exactly where I've been and kind of where I'm going now. And you can still be fond of the artists and be inspired by them, but actually. I don't know, sometimes it's better to, and like the moment where he doesn't want to meet Madonna and he's like, now I'm going. And it's like, sometimes it's better to not just hold on what you know and what it's done for you and then kind of move forward and, and take your own life. I, it really, I don't know, it just really, it really resonates with the whole book. And there was so much pop culture from the noughties and Eddie, you know, pop idol and, you know, um, oh, well, you it. I mean, hearsay and I know. <laughs> just, I mean, you know, you seriously, Andrew, like, you know, when you're from the kind of um, social, economic, cultural background that I'm from, um, it's all right for people to think we should be taking our cultural um, markers and guidance and whatever and influences from the highbrow end of the spectrum. That wasn't really open to me. And it wasn't my world. My world was pop culture. And seriously, I mean, Madonna was the big one for me, but not far behind were people like Janet Jackson, the Pet Shop Boys, Erasure, Five Star. Yes. Um, Literally, (laughs) I mean, I could... I could talk in as much detail about Janet Jackson, Britney. I mean, don't even go there. I could spend an hour doing our top fives for Britney. Amazing. um, You know, it's like, and it really gets on my tits, you know, when you get these cultural commentators who look down on our tits and they talk about guilty pleasures. Yeah. What should you feel guilty about listening to Britney Spears? I very happily listen to classical music now while I'm making the tea, and I often do. But um, when I'm in a different type of mood, I just want to listen to Britney. Who's yeah. going to tell me that that's wrong and what I should yeah. or shouldn't listen to? It's yeah. like when people talk about um, reading a trashy novel. Um, that's like so insulting to who's written it to call it trash. Trashy. And then you get, and I also think it's. People who make those comments know that those kind of um, cultural works appeal to women and Mm. often effeminate gay men. And I think there's some misogyny there. If you think about um, football, which predominantly appeals to straight men, just in terms of numbers, um, it is built up into this spiritual experience, the beautiful game, (laughs) the stadiums are like the cathedrals of the present. It's basically... Glorified hooliganism. It's yes, just a, it's just a game. Yeah, and um, nobody ever, nobody ever uses words that they throw at us about our culture. 
for football. No. It pisses me off. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and the whole, I think it's almost like, it's like a shame thing, isn't it? It's like we already carry enough, you know, and th- and the book obviously covers that as well. But it's almost like you should feel bad for liking, you know, what's considered a shit pop star or for watching trashy TV. Some of my, like, honestly, my perfect moment to relax is to sit down, YouTube, old interviews with celebrities or mm-hmm. re- reruns of 2006 Fight Night on Big Brother. Just stupid stuff that is just funny because... Sometimes you just need, you need that to kind of unwind your mind. You know, sometimes you just don't want to read something heavy or watch something intellectual. You just want to, you know, enjoy what you're doing. And I think it's, everyone likes different things, but it doesn't need to be less than it. Can, you know, it can, everything can give someone Absolutely. something, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, so when I read those, those references, I was like, oh my God, Pop Idol and Hearsay and Livers here. It just like, it took me right back. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, what was your favorite Hearsay song? Um, show me the way to your love. Mm. Although, actually, I have to say the cover they did of the Simon and Garfunkel song "Bridge Over Trouble- Troubled Water" I thought was great. Yeah. Um, I used to love hearsay. To be honest, I love like so many pop culture artists and the snobbery directed towards them. You know, also things like it's interesting when you mention. Mel C's vocals. I always get quite defensive of my divas when people talk about vocals because the fact that Madonna technically doesn't have um, the best voice has been held against her so much. And I actually think that was the making of her as a pop star. Mm-hmm. I actually think some pop stars who have great voices, I'm not going to say them because I don't slag people off, but um, I think they're quite dull pop stars. Yeah. Um, and it's not about so, the vocal with her, is it? It's the, it was the it's not about the vocal. Was, yeah. Well, it, and actually, the fact that um, she couldn't rely on the vocals meant that um, she probably had to explore things like imagery, movement, mm-hmm. messaging, more theatricality on tours, rather than just standing there and singing, which is what they used to do before she came along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, how she revolutionized the live music experience, the different acts, the costume changes, the themes, the theatricality, you know, um, and just like the mic so she could move the headset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, actually, if she'd been able to blow everyone away with her voice, maybe she wouldn't have explored all that and wouldn't have been as interesting an artist and wouldn't have made as much of an impression. Yeah, wouldn't have. I mean, of those artists who did have an amazing voice, which of them really changed the world? Mm. Which of them changed attitudes and um, shifted the public consciousness in a way that she did? Mm-hmm. I think I really enjoy. I loved Evita, so I love mm. the film. Yeah. I think her vocals in Evita in the soundtrack, and then into Ray of Light. I mean. She had much more of a deeper voice, I think, in the 80s. She did a lot of the kind of like lower type, you know, register. But I think when she started, like Ray of Light came out and she then did music and more of the acoustic kind of stuff on American Life, her vocal range was so much better. Um, and my, one of my favorite songs, which I love doing at karaoke, um, is Another Suitcase, Another. Oh, yeah. Um, I used to, I, I was going to say, I'm now married and respectable, but I used to have this ex boyfriend who was trouble and um, that's I used to sing to him another I've got such a rubbish voice but it's actually quite an easy one to sing isn't it yeah if you just do the what happens now you, you don't need to do much else do you it's just kind of like so you kind of get those lower tones and stuff but no I there's certain songs that you just have to you know 
I don't know. You you can you can just love. Um, but I completely agree with you. I think that she's had she's had some great stuff. Um, and yeah, and I think you know the whole book was just every time a chapter came up and the because I can't, can't remember who narrated the book, but he was amazing. Um, Simon Vose, he's called an actor called Simon Vose. Um, and yeah, um, just before we talk about more about the book, I will say yeah. just one final point about the vocal thing. Um, what constitutes a good pop voice? Because I think one of the things that was brilliant about the Spice Girls is that they all had characterful voices mm. and you could tell who was singing when. Yeah. And actually, virtuosity is about classical music, opera. It's not about how you use your instruments to have their highest range, the mm. best range. It's um, It was about how you express yourself, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, the best pop stars for me do that. Maybe as gay men, we've had such a struggle to sing in our own voices to express ourselves. And that's why we have such a link. We do have, I do think, gay men have a special understanding of popular culture and a special mm. bond with it. Mm. And maybe it's because when we were growing up, there weren't so many, or certainly with me, there weren't so many queer artists we could identify with. We had to invest so much mm. in these women yeah. who stood up for us, Absolutely. who were the kind of um, the examples just built up to the nth degree of the strong girls who stuck up for us in the school playground. Mm. You know, we wanted to be in their gang. Anyway, sorry, I'm rambling. No, I think, I think, no, no, completely, I completely agree. I think, as I said earlier, I think it's, they're our tribe. That's our, our people. Before we knew what our people were, that's kind of, that's how I, I definitely see it. Um, So I have to mention, obviously, we might as well talk, keep talking about Madonna. Are you going to the shows this year? Have you got tickets? Yeah. I am, yes. I'm going to take my husband. He's never seen her before. And you got married last year, right? I got married in December. Congratulations. That's lovely. Thank you. Um, I, yeah, I met my man at the age of 44. I mean, that's partly what the book's about, actually, is, um, I mean, obviously, the character is loosely based on me. It obviously cuts off um, before he gets to the age of 44, but it's about... Mm having dreams and aspirations and thinking your life is going to turn out a certain way. And it's so kind of messy. And, um, Mm. you know, I never imagined I'd be meeting the love of my life at 44 and walking down the aisle at nearly 48. Um, Do you know what I mean? But, But actually, we do have a lot more obstacles to overcome. Often, as gays and from particular, like, particularly gays from working class backgrounds, I can speak from that experience, but there's all kinds of intersectionality that Mm -hmm. comes into play here. But there's not a set path for us to follow, and you often have to invent the path for yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's partly what the book is about. I mean, he does take inspiration from Madonna, but he doesn't um, know where to direct it. Mm-hmm. or what to do. I mean, people said to me, was it always your dream to be a writer? Yeah, it was, but I didn't know that. Mm. Because growing up in the 80s, pre the internet, um, I didn't know anybody. You only had your very narrow circle. I didn't know anybody who wrote books. I didn't know anybody who made a living in the creative industries. People where I was from and from my background didn't know that. And you couldn't look it up online. No. How to, so you'd kind of fumble around. Mm-hmm. Um, and have to work it out for yourself and have to invent it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, um, I've strayed from the question. I can't remember what the question was, but that's partly what the book is about, actually, just having to work it out for yourself. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And There's no set path, is there, for queer people? I, th- I think for me, you know, I, we talked earlier about like, the fact that I met my husband when I was um, 21. I'm now 38. I mean, you know, I don't recognize that person. You know, we we change so much throughout our lives, you know, so I'm a completely different person to what I was then. And, you know, I always think your 20s are your challenging years. It was almost that kind of like discovery and you kind of go through a lot of your shit. And in your 30s, it gets a bit easier and you you start to understand a bit more and have a bit more self-acceptance. And I think that really comes across in the book as well with Charlie. It's like he has to go through some of these really difficult moments and there's drugs and lots of sex and kind of, and, and lots of shame, you know, there's, I really picked up on that. And I think that's something as queer people, we, we carry, you know, that's ingrained in us because of the, the media, the propaganda, the influences of things that we've heard when we've grown up. Um, we understand I, what, it means to, what it means to feel not good enough, to feel there's yeah. something wrong with us, and often to overcompensate by that, by wanting to be everybody's friend, wanting everybody mm. to love us, mm. wanting to be the most fun. Mm. I mean, my 20s were literally spent being a performing seal, being the life and soul of the party, making everybody laugh, shagging people just so I'd I'd have funny stories to tell my friends and um, suppressing that kind of shame Mm. in made to feel not good enough. They made to feel there was something wrong with me. And Mm. I worked all that through with a therapist in in my 30s and by writing this book. Mm. Um, Was it a cathartic experience for you to kind of write? Because it's obviously not completely autobiographical, but obviously you've taken reference from your own experiences. So 
Yeah, I mean, I took a lot from my own experience and um, a lot of the the skeleton of the story. I just tidied up the timeline and amalgamated characters and that kind of thing because and simplified certain themes because, like I say, real life's a bit all Mm. over the place Mm. and um, you need a clearer story arc. Mm -hmm. Um, And I needed to bring Madonna more to the fore than she Mm -hmm. was in my life, although she was a massive presence in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, still is. Look at me now. (laughs) Um, But I always say that all of the emotions um, the character feels, I felt. Mm -hmm. And his emotional journey is definitely mine. Mm. I've just remembered what I was going to say earlier, actually. When I was talking about real life not going how you think it's going to go, without giving too much away and without um, giving any spoilers, he has an idea, my character, of how he's going to meet the love of his life and how it's going to be romantic and like something out of a Madonna song like True Blue or Cherish. And um, I created, without saying what the situation is, the least possible romantic scenario that it could be um, in is this when he meets his future husband? Yes. Yes. I love, and, I love the um, wedding speech. Sorry, it was yeah. actually darker the first time I wrote it. But then <laughs> I thought, what could be like literally the, you know, have you seen that film True Romance? The Quentin Tarantino film? Oh, I it, think so. It's amazing. It's one of my okay. favourite films. And I walked down the aisle to the um, Hans Zimmer love theme from True Romance. Oh, it's amazing. about a guy who... Um, is a nerd and is a virgin and his friend, I think his boss, buys him a prostitute for his birthday. Mm-hmm. And um, he obviously doesn't realise. He thinks she bumps into him in the cinema. And um, to cut a long story short, they meet in the least possible romantic scenario mm-hmm. and um, go on to have a very romantic story against the backdrop of more um, traditionally not very romantic um, things that are going on. And I wanted to explore that because I actually think, if you think about like like a virgin, you know, people think it's really romantic to marry your romantic, your childhood sweetheart. And I think, no, actually, when Madonna sang like a virgin and she'd been around the block mm. and then you meet somebody who makes you feel young and, Mm-hmm. Um, like a virgin again, mm-hmm. like you, you know, all that jadedness is gone. I think that's really romantic, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to explore that, yeah, and play with our ideas because often for gay men, I mean, it's great when somebody meets their other half at 21, but often for gay men, um. It's more the experiences I've been talking about. I know so many gay men who've got the story of how they really met on a hookup or in a sauna or in a dark room or whatever, and yeah. the story they tell everybody else who's not um, their the family. To- and- the toilet roll aisle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I, I love, uh, with the wedding speech, I mean, we have given something away there, but the wedding speech about how they met, I really... I was almost falling asleep and I, I really laughed because it was, I love that they kept true to their word. Like he was like, we can never say how we met. And, you know, it just, it was, it was really, really good. Oh, I, I think forgot that, about that. I forgot about that. But yeah, they have a cover story, don't they? Yeah, they what do. What did their men do? Um, yeah. And that's the reality for us. And um, why should we be ashamed of all that shit? 
Oh, but that, that's the thing though, isn't it? It's like there is, so, I think there is so much shame ingrained in our community. That's why I think books like this are important. Not only are they super funny and relatable, but you are tackling subject matters which people completely relate to. I mean, you know, things like grinder, porn, meeting people in, like you say, saunas, all that kind of stuff. It's a reality. You know, people meet like that. There is nothing wrong with that, but we're made to feel that that's wrong. And it's like, no, we have to, we've got to do what Madonna does. We've got to reclaim that shit and just, you know, actually look at things in a bit of a different way. I think for me, I moved to Brighton in 2021 and it's completely different from where I am from Suffolk. So rural kind of, you know, farming county kind of thing. And um, this city just opened my eyes up so much in terms of culture and the community and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes I listen to conversations and I'm like, I've been living under a rock. Like what, you know, and this is why it's so great. We have books like this because you see different stories and different people's lives and how they met or what they got up to. And I think well, it's interesting brilliant. as well because um, it's brilliant now that um, we have equal rights and we can get married and have kids mm. and all the rest of it. It is fantastic. But what's happened is, in the past, we were all outsiders. We were all sluts mm. just because of who we were attracted to. Mm-hmm. And now you've got um, the good gays and the bad gays, the respectable gays who get married and show the straights. We're just like them. And you've got others who are left behind. And I find it difficult because I've been single and quite frankly a slut for most of my life (laughs) and always um, identified with that type of gay and I tell people I'm married now I'm very proud of being married and for me it was a political act but um, I don't want them to make assumptions because often the people who are branded bad gays now feel kind of left behind Mm. from um, some of the representations and that's really important to me in all the books that I write, not just this mm. one, but yes, this one is a big example, that, um, that that's not the case. I want those gays to feel represented. Yeah. You know, the ones who have met a boyfriend in a sauna. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did once meet a boyfriend in a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not? I think you something you just said there about being respectable gays or living the straight life. I definitely, I mean, you know, I'm honest about this. I think that Theo and I, you know, conformed for a long, long time because it was easier to conform, have the respectable nine to five job, buy the house, move to a bigger house, do the, all the stuff that everyone else was doing because then you fit in. You don't, you're not different. But actually what I came to realise is that that difference is important and it's, yeah. it's a superpower. It's like I would not be anyone else. And it knowing that and kind of growing and, understanding that has helped me accept myself so much more but i think there are times where we do conform because we feel well if we just blend everything will be okay and i think that's probably trauma from childhood you know it's been yeah. at school people calling you different or you know getting you know queer bash and stuff and so you learn to hide and filter yourself but actually now i'm like no i'm not going to filter myself anymore i'm going to have massive long nails and you know do what i want to do and like have a queer podcast and it's it's liberating when you find that power i think within you and i think that definitely comes across in the book there was one moment which i a couple of moments which i really loved there was a moment i actually got quite tearful and it was the oh father chapter oh that's one of my favorite songs i love it yeah oh father's a great yeah but don't say don't say what happens in that chapter because that should be that should come out of nowhere and be a twist it should be but i so i can relate from events of this year as uh, what i would say yeah and um there's a moment with him and his brother and there's a real 
they've obviously always been in competition. There's been jealousy. I love the part where he realizes that actually he thought he was the one who was jealous, but actually it was kind of, you know, it was just so good how it was done. Well, that's but, very much based on me and my brother. He's actually called Andrew. Okay. Um, you know, um, and I, sibling, I've also got a sister and sibling rivalry and the tensions between us have been a massive um, factor in my life and shaping the person I became mm-hmm. and like massive. And um, when you're, when you feel you're a disappointment um, as a gay man, um, you can sometimes look at siblings who are a, kind of another expression, another way that you could have turned out. And um, if they are measuring up to parental hope and aspiration on certain fronts, it can be quite hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I I really, there was so much in that chapter and obviously lots of stuff which I won't talk about, but it just, it really just, I had to just stop them up for a moment and I had a bit of a cry. It was just like, it really touched me. It was beautiful. So thank you for, because I think there'll be, again, when people read it, there'll be so many people that get it and will relate to it. So this book, honestly, I was like, this is my book. This, seriously, this is oh, what I've been... Well, I basically wrote it for people like us. Yeah. You know, because just... when I started writing it, there was nothing for us. No. Or very little. Mm. It's be- it was just beautiful. And again, I won't give too much away, but The Power of Goodbye as well, The that chapter. And actually that chapter, I was like, oh God, he's going to be single again, which obviously doesn't... There's a, there's two other types of goodbyes in that chapter. Um, yeah, there's a lot of goodbyes in that. That's what you know. That's one of the last chapters. Well, it's one of the last chapters in the book, actually. But it's I added that um, towards the end. Mm. Um, it was interesting the relationship between the lead character Charlie and his hometown. I originally called the book Madonna and Me. Okay. And um, what happened after? So after my trip to Argentina, when it was originally called Charlie Matthews Quarter Life Crisis, and then when I went to Argentina and had this revelation about Madonna being there at every stage of my life, and I grafted the Madonna onto it and brought her to the fore as his spirit guide, and named every chapter after a song and built, you know, built all that in, and it was always called Madonna and Me. And um, I realised from early readers that one of the things they connected with most was the relationship between Charlie and his hometown, Mm. how he hated it and had to get out to become the person he was meant to be, but then later in life had a reconciliation with it Mm. and realised that actually it was... um, just the way the world was then. I mean, we didn't mm. realise pre-internet. You were, you just saw your small microcosm yeah. of society. You actually didn't realise that every other small town was also horrendous mm-hmm. to people like you. Mm-hmm. Um, he has quite a complicated relationship with his hometown. I did, still do. And um, that chapter is so interesting. You've picked up on two chapters. One is the... Our father is where the relationship with his dad comes to a head, the Mm -hmm. model of traditional male behaviour that he Mm -hmm. feels he doesn't live up to. Mm -hmm. And the other one, The Power of Goodbye, it's about the hometown, isn't it? And they are two fronts that are very much the front line for a lot of older gay men, or certainly ones my age and um, beyond. You know, they were the battle lines for I think in in that chapter as well, he kind of, he obviously lets go of, the shame he's been holding 
for such a long time in a way that, you know, he he's obviously quite reluctant to start with. And then he's like, oh, fuck it. Why not? Let's just do it. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, He's yeah, nice, isn't he? I love him. I kind of miss him, actually. Maybe yeah. I need to... Because um, he obviously is a part of me, but frankly, every character that you write, I mean, some are more obviously based on you. Yeah. But you have to get where they, their motivation and emotions for all of them, actually. Mm, mm. Um, so... It was, just, it was just so... The whole thing was so powerful. And that's... I mean, obviously, I know your your new book is coming out next year, One Love, and we would... I talked to you about the podcast and then I saw you were getting a new book and I was like, okay, maybe we'll chat next year. But um, as soon as I finished this book, I was like, no, no, we, we need to speak sooner. No, we can speak just... again. So interestingly, yes. I've done two books in between, The Secret Life mm. of Albert Antwistle and Becoming Ted, um, both of which have done really well. It's been amazing. But um, I often come back to the same theme, which is um, – I only ever write about gays. I'm not interested in writing about straight people anymore. Mm. Um, it's about gays who feel they're not good enough, often look outside themselves for, as, to find a way of making them better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realising that actually that capacity for happiness was in them all along. You know, mm. happiness can only ever be an inside job. Mm. And um, with Charlie, he looks to Madonna as the outside mm. force to make him better and to fix him, to make him good enough. With Ted, in my latest book, Becoming Ted, he's dumped by his husband. He's got low self-esteem. He actually turns to drag in his 40s, which has always been his dream. He's never had the guts to follow it. Amazing. And by by uh, adopting his drag alter ego, which he thinks is outside him, actually he learns to accept what was in him anyway. Mm-hmm. And that inner strength comes to the fore more. And um, One Love, the book that's coming out in January, um, is about often problematic and intense relationships between gay friends when the boundaries can be blurred. Mm-hmm. And it's about two characters. They meet at Manchester University 20 years later to celebrate the, tw- the 20th anniversary of their friendship, they go back to Manchester Pride. And over the four days of Manchester Pride, their friendship unravels in ways neither of them could have envisaged because, crucially, one of them has been in love with the other for 20 years. Okay. And he's looked at the other. He's always felt not good enough. And he's looked at the other um, thinking he's so much better than him. And if he could mm. just love me, I'll be all right. Mm. But actually what he realises is he's all right anywhere. Yeah. He's more than all right. Um, and of all the books that I've written, actually, that new one, One Love, which I've just finished, which is coming out in January, is um, you can pre-order it now on Amazon. You can. <laughs> <laughs> plug, plug. And then my publisher will kill me if I don't say that. <laughs> that one is the most... I think it's the most similar to the Madonna of Bolton, possibly because it covers a long period. Um, Madonna of Bolton is, um, he's not, he's the age of nine to 34, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, in one love, the characters go from first year of uni to 20 years later. Mm -hmm. Um, and yes, so much has happened in that 20 years for gays. Everything has changed. 
everything has changed. I know that mm. there's a lot that still needs to change. And in lots of areas, we're going backwards. But um, it's a fascinating, if you're looking at us in society and in relation to mainstream culture and society, um, that relationship has changed beyond all recognition for gay mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fascinating to explore for a writer. Yeah, I can imagine. It's it, yeah, I can't wait to read it. I'm really excited. Um, and the, you had film rights purchase right for the Baltimore Donna, was that right? Um, we did have um, film rights optioned for the Madonna of Bolton. Um, I'm not allowed to talk about it, but I will say it's being it's currently being developed <gasps> in another Amazing. deal for another art form that isn't film. Okay. I'm not allowed to talk about it because it, I'll literally, the whole deal will fall apart and I'll get bollocks. And as you can probably guess from this interview, I shoot my mouth off about things at the drop of (laughs) the But no, but but how lovely that you wrote it all those years ago. It then got published years later and then it's taken another life. I mean, that's the beauty of good art, isn't it? I guess it's timeless. It can keep going and. Yeah, I think it's timeless. The thing about the emotional power of music and um, looking up to, pop music idols and the way that people used to look at saints, I think does really resonate. And that's one of the reasons when I had 10 years of rejection for this book and they kept saying it's too gay, it's too niche. Um, This is years ago before there were mainstream commercial hits for um, Mm. gay novels and films and plays. You know, I used to think, actually, that's rubbish. Mm. Um, I know so many people... um, who feel that strong bond with popular culture. And if you go with, if you go through the eyes of a gay man, it's just more intense and therefore more dramatic. Mm. And um, when I used to be the editor of Attitude magazine, you used to, whenever we had, I'll leave you with this thought, because I can tell you want to wrap up by the way you're sitting. Um, whenever we used to have a new member of staff or somebody who was an intern or whatever, I'd say to them, who's your diva? And um, they'd say straight away, Mariah, Whitney. And you'd literally go around the office and um, I'd say, he's Brit. There were about three who were Britney and about three mm-hmm. who were Spice Girls. He's mm-hmm. Madonna. There was one who was Lana Del Rey. There was an older guy who was Judy. You could literally <laughs> go around yes. and um, say who their diva was. And I can remember once, I'm not going to name him, but there was one member of staff who was a mad Britney fan. And I can't remember, there was a, low period in her life and career and she had a single out that was a bit below par and somebody was making fun of him saying oh it's crap it's gonna bomb and he got so worked up he was so worked up i literally thought it was gonna be a physical fight (laughs) and i had to like pull them apart and i thought that's what my book's about actually when it feels like part of you and who you are and you feel this fierce loyalty to them for being there yeah yeah, you defend them. It's like they're like your people. It's like you've never met them, but like you will literally walk on fire for them. No, I completely resonate. Melanie C can do no wrong. And can I just say, I have met her a couple of times and she's great. <gasps> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I want to ask you as well, very quick, this is gossip really, but did you read the Madonna, the Brothers book? Yes, I did. What did you think? Um, I found it very interesting. Mm. Um, I... I've always known that Madonna is a human being. I know that I talk about the message she projected. I always knew she was a human being and would be flawed. Um, I found his story quite interesting because he felt very aggrieved Mm. 
And I couldn't work out quite where the grievance came from mm. because he would also um, pay tribute to everything she'd done for him, mm. whether it was basically giving him so many jobs, you know, and getting him all these interior design gigs and all the rest mm-hmm. of it and um, lifting him out of a life that could have been very different mm. and taking him, him along on the journey. And mm. yes, he was her dresser sometimes, and that is maybe quite a lowly position, but it's a position where she needs somebody she's very intimate with. Mm. Um, and, you know, she was a, literally the biggest star in the world for so long. Nobody's ever really going to be a peer, even a sibling. No. I couldn't quite work out where um, the grievance came from. And... Well, he um, didn't get to do the tour, did he? And you, because this is what this book popped in my head earlier when you mentioned the Drowned World. Um, is it Substitute for Love tour? I think it was. Yeah, the it? Drowned World tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I when think that was the first. That was the first tour I think that he didn't get involved in because he. Yeah. I think in the book he talked about like being involved in like the creative stuff and things. Yeah, he definitely was. So the Girly Show, I think he was artistic director. Um, and previously he'd done lower roles and he'd built mm. up there. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually not great at gossipy stuff. I'm less interested. I'm always interested in the work mm. and um, the self-expression as an artist. I'm less good on personal stuff, boyfriends. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think you're right. I think there was a grievance there. But if you look at the timeline of any great artist you do have to refresh your collaborators change it up yeah 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 and um you know you just do yeah and he did but there's been some people who've been along for a long time whether it's the publicist who was with her for about 35 Mm -hmm. years or nikki and donna the backing singers who were there on tour after tour you know there were people friends like i love that you know them by first name that's pretty nikki and donna Oh, yeah. That's any super fan. We're all hoping they'll be back for the new tour. You know, a friend like Debbie Mazar, who was her um, makeup artist in the early days, still always with her. There is a loyalty there, but at the same time, you do have to change it up. You just mm. do. There's a really funny, um, I think it's, was it In Bed with Madonna? Was it called something else as well? Was there? Chim in the States. Here it was called In Bed with Madonna. So, there's one bit in that that just makes me scream. And it's basically where that old friend goes, um, you know, I can't do that, but hey, Madonna, I'd really love you to be their godparent. And she goes, mm, well, I'm going to have to think about that. And, <laughs> and she goes, oh, she's a little fucker kind of thing. And it's just, I just, it's so funny because it's like, like it's all on camera. And I just think, how can you say that to someone that you've known for? I mean, you know, you're quite within your rights to think about it. It's a serious job to, to take on. But, um, well, she I, met, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what was going on there, but some friend she'd not seen she was since she was about nine, and um, came and asked her to be godmother to her child. Um, it was just funny. Just it was just I don't know. It was just it was like classic moment was in the documentary. She? she was. I mean, the the comebacks were quite were hilarious. Yeah, and so, I mean, yeah, some of the I mean, you know, when she's like laying on her mother's grave and stuff, and. I don't know. Some of it was a little bit like, oh, I'm not sure if I... Oh, I but... love all that, that she just put it out there. That film, when I watched that film, I remember watching that in a multiplex in Bury where I went to school. And um, 1991, there is a close-up of two gay men French kissing in the Truth or Dare, 
Truth or Dare game. And at that point, in the multiplex, there were boos and um, sounds of vomiting and all that. People forget, and that film was given an, an 18 rating. It's mm. now being downgraded because it's not considered um, quite so X-rated. Mm. But um, people forget that mm. um, just how brave she was. Bold, um, yeah, absolutely. She was, I mean, when we were social pariahs, when we were considered and roundly denounced in the media as dangerous, disease-carrying sexual predators who couldn't be trusted around your children, you know, she was proudly parading her gay brother, mm. her gay friends, her gay collaborators, her gay dancers, showing them a gay pride parade yeah. um, in that film. Mm. You know, um, she was like a lioness looking after us. And I wanted, that's part of the inspiration for me writing the book, wanting to celebrate that, pay tribute and say thank you for saving my life. And did you ever get to meet her or have you ever spoken to her about the book? Or I have had um, chances to meet her that I've never taken up because they've always been um, insignificant um, whether it's like interviewing people at a junket, interviewing her at a junket where you get whipped in for seven minutes to, out of kind of respect to my nine-year-old self, I mm. felt I couldn't do that. Um, good. I remember I was actually at the premiere for that. You mentioned the film. I'm going to tell you a secret. I was at the premiere for that and she walked right past me. Um, I've had moments where I could have done, but um, I've always stepped back there was um when we did sell the film rights to the adaptation the book initially um i did get an email from her office saying we had her blessing to um make it into a film um that must be amazing though like even if it doesn't get made like the fact that you've written something about your idol that's given you so much to then get that that's like yeah I did all right, tick. You know, that's that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm proud of all of my books and I love them all. Um, this one has a special place in my heart. And actually, I'm not just proud of myself for writing it. I'm so proud of myself for sticking with it and mm. fighting and fighting and fighting to get it published after 10 years of rejection and people telling me it had no chance commercially. And still, five years after um, it was published... Here we are talking about it. You're saying it resonated. You know, um, it's just been selected as one of the official Eurovision reads because it made the official Eurovision book list because it's a book that celebrates the healing power of music and the power of music Mm -hmm. to bring us together. And I just did a show on Radio 4. Um, You know, my books since then have been bestsellers and it's all great, but people often still want to talk about this book. They did on, on in this radio show the other day. And um, yeah, that's a great joy for me. And I am proud of myself for sticking with it and making sure it got out there. Yeah, definitely. Well, congratulations. I loved it so much. And I'd encourage everyone to go and get a copy. And, and the audio, because the actor was fantastic. I really enjoyed listening to him. I thought he was absolutely fab. So that was really, really cool. Well, look, good luck with the house move tomorrow and with everything Thank else. Thank you. And um, are you moving far or is it kind of like a bit of an easy move? I'm literally moving house tomorrow, but I wanted to do this interview. Oh, Um, bless you. Thank you. 
Um, I am moving from one part of North London to another. And I actually said okay. to my husband the other day, I've lived in this part of North London for 20 years. And I bought my first flat here in summer 2003. And it's actually longer than I ever lived in my hometown. Wow. Okay. And um, But it's interesting because your hometown still defines you, whether it's in your eyes or whether in other people's eyes. I mean, obviously, I've not helped by writing a book with it in the title. <laughs> but um, I will always be considered a Boltonian. It's one of the first things people know about me. Yeah. Um, I've actually lived in this part of North London, which I'm not going to name because I still live here, um, for longer. Wow. That's amazing. That's so cool. That's really good. And you're not moving far. You're just kind of... Not moving too far, but um, I agree with you. To go back to what you were saying earlier, you need to shake things up. You need change. Mm. Um, And that's basically what I'm doing. Amazing. Well, congratulations and good luck with everything. And we definitely must catch up um, next year as well when the new book comes out. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. Thank you. Cheers. I really hope you enjoyed the show. A big thank you once again to all my guests. Please share the podcast, give it a five-star review if you'd like, and leave any comments you may have. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for all the latest updates on Queer I Am, the podcast. Also, check out my website, www.fluiactually.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.